Welcome back to another instalment of our local radio and podcast series, Collie Just Transition, where we cover the latest news and all that's happening in the town of Collie beyond the life of the coal industry. Securing a greener and more sustainable future is increasingly becoming a focus for government and industries, not only here in WA, but around the globe. With the recent announcement around Collie's big battery development, we thought it would be a good opportunity to take a deep dive into WA's energy systems and what this means for us here in Collie. To do this, we're excited to be joined today by Jai Thomas, Deputy Director General Coordinator of Energy at the Department of Mines, Industry, Regulation and Safety. Welcome to the show, Jai. Oh, thanks for having me on. Jai, can you tell us a bit more about your role and what you do? Mm, yeah, sure. So my role is as uh, as coordinator of energy, as you, as you mentioned, and that basically means I oversee all of the energy supply arrangements uh, in the state of Western Australia and, and report to the, to the Minister for Energy on that. Um, my team at Energy Policy WA is part of uh, DEMERS, as you, as you mentioned, Department of Mines, Industry, Regulation and Safety, and and, uh, and I guess the supply arrangements do vary over the state. Um, so we have the main power system in the southwest, of course, that runs from uh, Kalbarri through the metro area, down through Collie and, and down Albany and, uh, and out to Kalgoorlie, of course. Um, and then we have other supply arrangements for, uh, for towns up in, uh, in, in the Pilbara. We have a, a power system up there um, that's a smaller version of the southwest one. We have also a lot of microgrids that um, that the government owned, Horizon Power Service, so towns like Esperance, um, you know, Carnarvon, Exmouth, all have uh, individual power supplies. Um, uh, and we also have a range of mining sites that have their own energy supply as well. So my remit um, covers all of those arrangements, including, as I said, the Southwest Power System. And uh, we also, at Energy Policy WA, provide advice on the day-to-day activities of the, of the government-owned enterprises for energy, that's uh, Synergy, of course, Western Power and um, and Horizon Power. Uh, so between all that and reporting, you know, to the Minister for Energy, um, that's my my day to day life. It's a big job, but then we're <laughs> a big we're a big state. My family lives out uh, in, in the Preston Valley, at the top of the Preston Valley. So uh, the Collie area is uh, very close to to my heart. Well, that's a, a beautiful area. Could you start by giving our listeners a quick rundown on how our energy systems have changed in the last 10 years? Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously um, we've had uh, a lot of change over the last 10 years, uh, preceded by not a lot of change over the 100-odd years uh, before that. So, so you know, the power system around, uh, around Collie and through to Perth um, and surrounds, as I mentioned, um, really didn't have a lot of change over the 100 years in the 1900s through to early part of the 2000s and the feature of the power system was uh, you know a lot of big generators um, we had in the 60s and 70s a lot of uh, reticulation of energy supply to the region uh, regions and um, a lot of big generators feeding end users and a lot of those generators uh, have uh, have been and, and still are in Collie uh, but over the last 10 years we've had uh, a real rise um, in small generators in rooftop solar generators on on people's houses um, and other forms of, of energy generation. So we've gone from, you know, those 15 to 20-odd big generators sending power to end users to essentially 450-odd thousand little generators um, and what we call a two-way flow of electricity. So um, the days of 
big generator sending electricity down poles and wires to end users has somewhat changed uh, as we've gone decentralised and all of those little generators are sending power um, either into people's homes or into the network, um, but it's really given life to a, a two-way flow of electricity um, uh, and a real change to the way power systems are operated and, and managed. Of course, uh, this has been accelerated particularly over the last couple of years and, and last year in particular was a year of a decarbonisation commitment from both industry and, and governments, state governments, federal governments um, uh, all around the world have made commitments to decarbonisation. So that's further accelerated um, the, the, the energy transition that we're, that we're part way through. Um, and ultimately, uh, um, you know, it impacts the way we plan our energy systems, it impacts the investments that are made. Um, and it impacts the way we run the power systems in real time uh, because you always need to balance supply of electricity uh, with demand for electricity in, in real time because, you know, there's a physics question at play as well. Um, so I just wanted to emphasise that, that, you know, our energy systems have changed the last 10 years and so the energy transition isn't some sort of future thing that we're planning for. We were at, um, with all of that rooftop solar and, and a bunch of wind farms, we were at 34% renewable energy in the power system last year um, and you know the maximum penetration of renewables we've had um, is 84% in any one half hour period. We, so we measure electricity uh, supply and demand in half hour periods and, and, and the most renewables we've had is 84% um, on the 12th of December last year. Um, so with that in mind you know the, the energy transition is a here and now thing um, there are a lot of challenges in energy transition. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's actually really, really hard. Um, and it's hard because, um, you know, the renewable energy uh, can be intermittent and we need to fill in the gaps. Um, and also a lot of those old generators that we have are starting to be more reliable. And, you know, even as we speak, we have a number of the um, of the coal generators out of action. Um, and, uh, and that's a challenge we need to deal with. Uh, but ultimately... Um, you know, the future is a, a, a transitioned energy system um, for economic and, and sustainable energy reasons. You know, the future really is progressing towards much higher volumes of renewable energy than that sort of 34% overall volume that I mentioned. Um, you know, we have um, the commitment from industry that, um, that they uh, are wanting to go um, to green energy supply and a lot of industrial products, you know, will rely on having those green credentials to be sold in international marketplaces and we've seen that um, with a few of the big multinational corporations already um, that have already pursued you know green energy uh, investments um, so the, the future really is that progress towards um, large volumes of renewable energy and I guess the other element to the future is a lot of industry will look um, to how they decarbonize their operations um, and so we'll look to electricity as being the thing that uh, that gets them there so you know uh, some Industries like the aluminium industry, for example, you know they might use a lot of a lot of gas as a feedstock in their industrial process. And as they consider how they're going to meet their uh, decarbonisation target, um, the emphasis a lot of the time is is going to electrification of their process so that they can get renewable electricity from wind and solar, etc., um, and uh, and get their green credentials that way. So. Uh, we did a recent exercise plotting the future of electricity demand in the Southwest power system, and uh, we acknowledge um, it was released in May. We called it the Swiss Demand Assessment, um, or because we like acronyms in the energy sector, we called it SWISDA. Um, and what SWISDA plots was a uh, 
uh, a sort of three and a half times uh, increase in the in the demand for electricity over the next 20 years as that heavy industry seeks to electrify. Uh, also plots, you know, progressing towards the 96% renewable energy by 2042. So uh, lots of increase in electricity demand, lots of increase in renewable energy needed to support that demand, um, and also a need to invest in the electricity network because, again, that uh, higher volume of demand uh, will need more sort of transmission towers and, 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 and poles and wires to, um, to move the electricity around. Well, how can benefit flow to Collie from all of this? Yeah, sure. I mean, Collie's uh, always been at the heart of our energy sector in the southwest of Western Australia. Um, and, you know, there's no reason for that to change. And in fact, you know, that can only um, grow in the, as we need more electricity um, and a heavy industry uh, seeks to need uh, more renewable energy. So the good news for Collie is that it does have already, um, with the coal generators there, um, a really solid uh, network capacity. So got the existing generators there as they go um, out of the system um, you know the reality is there's there's space for other new forms of generation such as batteries to um to take up that space in the network so um so Collie's very well positioned to to really transition its own contribution to the state's energy needs uh, because it's already got that established infrastructure um, and then beyond that they've got the established workforce um, and so you know, the workforce transition um, that has been well engaged on um, through through Collie is is one of opportunity um, to to provide skills into that into that new energy uh, way of of doing things. Um, and I think uh, from a Collie perspective, um, you know they should remain at the heart of of the energy transition um, and in the energy supply for for Western Australia. Um, I think the other thing uh, to say is uh, once you know some of these investments get um, get locked in and. We'll talk a bit about some of the batteries in a minute. Um, that really also offers the opportunity for um, for, for jobs in construction uh, in the area as well. A lot of uh, a lot of these investments will require quite a heavy um, construction workforce to get them um, get them established. So um, that offers uh, a relatively immediate um, opportunity for the Collie area as some of these major investments really start to um, have site works in the you know within the next um, three, six, twelve months. I'm going to throw to to, um, John Carney now, our local Collie Delivery Unit representative. Not only is he our co-host, but he's also quite involved with the energy industries here in Collie. Thanks, Nola. Hi, Joy. How are you, mate? Very good, John. How is it down there? Uh, Good, thanks, mate. Very good. Joy, we know that Synergy recently held a community information session about the battery, and I'm sure you've had some feedback following the announcement. As a local myself, I'm wondering what sort of, or what are some of the uh, typical concerns that were raised? Yeah, thanks, John. It's a great question. Um, and you know, battery, uh, like any piece of the electricity supply chain, is a um, you know, is a big piece of infrastructure that requires its own set of maintenance uh, and its own, and has its own challenges. So, typically, a lot of the time, um, issues around batteries, small, medium, and large, of course, um, relate to such things as noise and the potential for fire risk and, and, and even beyond that, things like electricity bills. Uh, from a noise perspective, you know, batteries um, do make noise. Uh, they're not like, you know, the batteries you put in your devices. Um, they have um, their own processes. A lot of the time they need to be um, cooled uh, if, it's, uh, if it's hot temperatures. Um, so the reality is there is uh, a noise impact from having uh, a battery. But 
the big battery, um, like many other big batteries around the place, for example, the one um, that Synergia have recently energised at Quinana, you know, they're not going on residential streets. They're in industrial areas or, or the surrounds um, so that, you know, the noise impact um, is minimised. And, of course, noise pollution is regulated. So um, so you can take comfort from the fact that, um, that there are regulations around noise pollution from any form of industrial activity and, and, uh, and the battery wouldn't be exempt from, from complying with those sorts of things. Uh, another risk that's been raised um, over time is, you know, what's the fire risk? Um, and again, a battery like, uh, like you know, the production of electricity from fossil fuels, gas, um, coal, and, and even the mining of coal, like it has risks around it. Um, and so fires in the electricity sector are a very rare and infrequent event. Um, but, you know, from time to time, things, things will go, go wrong and, and, you know, the batteries are no uh, exemption from that. Um, but increasingly, again, um, these are heavily regulated spaces. Um, the battery chemistries are always monitored. Um, a feature of the Synergy battery at Quinana was the spacing um, between each battery unit to really mitigate the risk that if one of the individual modules, and there are you know, dozens of modules that make up uh, the 100 megawatt battery at, at Quinana, and, the, and the, the next one will be um, at least five times bigger, um, but the, the modules are well spaced so that if there was an issue in one module, that, um, that the risk to other modules catching on fire would be um, significantly uh, minimised. And that's, that's a feature of the, of the Synergy battery uh, at Quinana and something that we'd expect to see at Collie as well. So uh, I guess the other thing to say on batteries more broadly is that you know, there are a variety of battery chemistries and some of them you know, lend themselves um, to... Uh, um, to longer duration of energy storage and have a much uh, a much more m- minimised fire risk. So, um, so as battery technologies also evolve, as as all electricity generation and, and storage technologies have, um, you know, we would expect to see that that risk further mitigated. But again, it's a very very low risk um, in terms of uh, the likelihood of a fire. The the fire suppression systems and the um, uh, and the uh, other arrangements around the site really help contain any risk um, should it actually emerge. Um, and so we're very confident that, that these facilities will be absolutely first class from a, a safety and a noise perspective. Um, John, I did mention, you know, future electricity bills in there as well, and, and, and that's something that's raised, you know, will, will these investments uh, increase the, the cost of energy supply or increase the cost of bills to end users? Um, I think the, the first thing to say there is, you know, the, the reality is the coal-fired generation that we have um, was suffering from the rise of renewables um, crowding out its own uh, profitability or its own revenue. And so the decision to retire the coal units wasn't necessarily one um, done for um, decarbonisation reasons, albeit it makes a really big contribution to, to government objectives there. Uh, it was really done uh, because of the economics of, of running coal generation uh, um, in the year 2022 and 2023, um, where you know ultimately the rooftop solar is generating um, for uh, for free uh, from energy from the sun and 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 the and the, the coal you know has a cost of production for for digging out um, coal out of the ground and powering it in and that fuel cost um, is a significant differentiator. So um, the reality is the solar uh, was producing um, in the uh, in the energy system ahead of coal uh, on any given day uh, when the sun is shining, of course. Um, and so that really crowds out the, the revenue stream for, for coal. So 
the battery replacements, um, you know, really um, help mitigate the loss um, when it comes to, uh, to to the expense of producing coal and um, and should contribute to uh, a long-term uh, affordable energy system. Um, the other thing to say about uh, energy bills is, of course, um, particularly for residential and small business customers, um, those are regulated by the state government um, and we have a uniform tariff policy across the state, what you pay in Collie versus what you pay in the metro area versus what you pay in Fitzroy Crossing or Derby is, uh, is the same price um, and those things are regulated by the government. So government has control over the, uh, over the, um, the energy costs uh, for consumers um, and, uh, and we'll seek to keep them as stable as possible going forward. Thanks for that, Joy. Yeah, uh, the other thing that, especially around town, that comes up quite a bit, is um, could you tell me how the battery reliability compares to the uh, current baseload power? Yeah, thanks, John. It's a it's a good question. We often get the uh, the notion of of baseload power thrown up as um, as a, as, a, as something we sort of need to work through in the energy transition, and I think. Um, the concept of baseload power itself has really started to change as we've transitioned the energy system. So in the sort of old energy supply regime, um, there was very much the notion that you had a really solid base load for, uh, of demand for energy, um, and then uh, and that allowed these big generating units to just tick over, uh, like the coal generators do really well, to provide um, stable power supply over long periods of time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and then the challenge in the old world energy systems was just um, ramping up enough generation to meet peak demand typically uh, in, uh, in the evening when people get home from work. So, um, so the notion of baseload and sort of peaking generation was um, something that the old energy system um, uh, really had to, had to work through and manage. Um, but as we've gone to more renewable energy, and, and the renewable energy obviously produces um, essentially once it's built, uh, free electrons, um, and so those in reality go first in sort of the dispatch order for electrons because you dispatch the least cost energy first. Um, so we've moved from this concept of of baseload and peaking um, into the concept of renewables and firming, and just making sure that the renewables are accounted for, um, and then we fill in the gaps in in real time, and that's where the batteries come into it. I think the other thing to say about baseload is as we've had more and more solar, that baseload has really reduced. So we now have a concept of minimum demand um, and they're having so much solar that um, that at times, you know, there, there may not necessarily be enough demand for that solar as it's produced. So, so the baseload requirements are, are lower than they've ever been um, just because the solar energy is producing in, uh, uh, you know, in the middle of the day. Most days of the uh, of the southwest Western Australian year. Of course, I'm talking to you in June when it's cloudy. But um, uh, uh, and we also have, uh, as I mentioned, a number of coal generators out at the moment. So, from a reliability perspective, um, the battery technology. You know, we have a lot of faith that it will be highly reliable um, and able to respond um, in a, you know at a moment's notice and literally at a moment's notice. So, a lot of the time we need to fill in the gaps where there isn't renewable energy production, or typically, you know, the system operator may need a, a physics-based response to something like frequency or, or another form of support. Um, and some of the new gas generators are really good at this, but batteries are also exceptionally good at it, and that's responding in sort of milliseconds um, and being able to support the power system as a whole um, in that sort of really, really fast response time. So 
That's why batteries, they often get called um, a bit of a Swiss Army knife because they can respond quickly or you can uh, you can drain them slowly, but they can be uh, exceptionally useful in, um, in helping us move to that concept of renewable energy and firming and, and the batteries form the firming part of the equation, helping keep the, the power supply stable um, when the when the solar's uh, not generating or or the wind farms in the north um, aren't, uh, aren't producing. Um, we also have some wind farms in the south. So typically, there's always wind somewhere, um, but uh, but the batteries will help us fill in any gaps um, that emerge. Yeah, thanks again, Joy. Um, yeah, as as Nola mentioned, I am part of the College Ruby Unit, uh, which is actually focusing on attracting major industry to Collie as part of the transition. Uh, can you tell us what impact major industries might have on the grid? Yeah, sure. I mean, as I said, uh, industry um, looking ahead will be a major um, a user of, of, of electricity and seek to increase their demand for electricity over time as their as their pathway to decarbonisation. And so, you know, in the southwest, um, that that really looks a lot at aluminium production and um, and other operations like you know some of the industry in the broader southwest, such as the mineral sands operations. All of those things. Um, we'll start to consider how they're going to decarbonise um, and a lot of the time it will be electricity generation and getting renewable energy um, or new, renewable electricity um, that is the way they hit their decarbonisation targets. So we can really expect to see um, those industries really ramping up their need for, for electricity and all of the supporting infrastructure that comes with that, whether it's upgrades on their own site um, as well as upgrades to the power system that I mentioned to get um, to get that really high demand, um, support that really high demand and, and deliver um, renewable energy um, into those locations. So um, so that's that's a feature of the new energy system. Um, and then in and around Collie, of course, um, having mentioned that that, uh, that there is that um, that capacity for uh, for energy generation there, um, that some of the industry is well placed to benefit from that directly because you know the infrastructure is there. Um, they can connect through the, uh, the the strategic industrial areas around the Collie location and get a really high renewable and, and stable source of energy uh, because, again, um, the Collie energy infrastructure has always been at the heart of the southwest grid, so it's well-placed well to, to deliver reliable energy to industry, which um, has a really high demand for, um, for reliability uh, as much as they do for, um, for sustainable energy. Uh, so... I think Collie uh, and the surrounds, you know, that, that heavy industry focus uh, will also interact quite strongly with the energy system of the future. Yeah, thanks again, uh, Joy. Um, jobs. How many jobs would that actually the battery create here in Collie? Of course, you know, there's uh, construction jobs and then there's ongoing uh, maintenance and, and management jobs and, and then the supporting industry as well. So, um, so ultimately... Um, you know, we would expect a significant um, sort of surge workforce in the um, in the years of, of battery creation, and then um, and then you know the management and maintenance of, of a battery has a has a more limited long term workforce. But it will require maintenance. It will, will require ongoing support, um, and so you know there should be a benefit to the local community from from those jobs as well as supporting infrastructure around that. And first battery at, at synergy uh, for synergies just. Just one of the batteries, um, you know, in the mix for Poly. So, uh, as we as we speak, um, I know the French company Neo and are very close to uh, to progressing their Poly battery, and they've got a, a website outlining all of this as well. Um, 
uh, it's called collybattery.com.au. So, you know, as I said, the, the infrastructure at Colly is very well placed to take new investments as the, um, as the existing uh, assets uh, get retired. Um, and so the Synergy Battery is just, just the start of the, uh, of the investments in and around the area. Yep, and um, the, the actual battery that's earmarked for Collie that was announced, uh, well, probably a couple of weeks, a month ago, uh, yep. what, what actually are the specs and the details of that actual battery, Joy? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's a, a 500 megawatt battery, uh, and uh, it's got a four-hour life for that 500 megawatts, um, essentially 2,000 megawatt hours for, for the energy nerds around the, around town. Um, uh, I'd, I'd be one of those. Uh, so... You know, we often um, compare, you know, the size of the, the coal units and other units. Um, so for comparison, the the big Collie coal generator um, is about 340-odd megawatts. Um, so this battery at 500 megawatts is sort of slightly larger in terms of its output um, at any one point in time. But, of course, you know, the battery only has four hours life and needs to be uh, refilled each day as well. So um, so the Collie coal, you know, generator can produce continuously. So... Recognise that, um, and that's always a limitation of, of batteries. But at 500 megawatts and 2,000 megawatt hours, um, it you know it stands to be the largest battery um, in Australia from those uh, that have been announced to date. Of course, you know there's always something bigger just around the corner in some other part of the state of the world um, or some other part of the globe. So, uh, so for the time being, uh, our expectation is that this is um, the biggest battery in Coley, uh, in, the biggest battery in Australia uh, at this time. Yeah, thanks, uh, Joy. Uh, this is my last question, mate. So just in case people have missed some of the information or whatever, but is there a spot where locals can go to find out more information and obviously some reference material out there that you could yep. uh, probably suggest for them? Yeah, for sure. So uh, we do have a, a website. It's called Brighter Energy Future, and, and you should be able to just type that into Google and, and find it. Um, of course, Synergy's website also has uh, a lot of good information. And I'll also mention the uh, the Neon website, collybattery.com.au. So uh, across those three sites, there, there should be a range of information to uh, to meet um, the needs of the Collie community. Um, but, you know, the Collie delivery unit does a fantastic job. I know you're in and around town, John. Um, I'm always happy to take a call and, uh, and talk more about this stuff. Um, so, uh, for, you know, if anyone's got any more questions, happy to... Happy to take them through you. Cheers. Thanks again, Jai. Good talking to you. Thanks for joining us today, John and Jai, and for shining a light on Collie's Big Batteries news. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, and you know, really pleased with the work the Collie Delivery Unit has done and, and does do in and around town. And it's great to be able to, to talk today and, and be a part of that uh, over the journey. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of the Collie Just Transition podcast. Don't forget, if you have a burning question that you would like answered or know of a topic that you'd like to learn more about, let the WA government know at wa.gov.au forward slash Just Transition podcast. Collie Community Radio is proud to have partnered with the WA government to bring you this episode. Be sure to tune in to our future chats where we continue to cover the latest news, updates and insights on Collie's transition.